Welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast, along with J.J. Cooper. I'm John Manuel, battling a head cold, so I hope you. Uh, I apologize for my uh, my volume, which I'll be compensating for too much in your <laughs> headphones. But thank you all for joining us. Uh, it's a busy news day at Baseball America. Busy news week. The winter meetings are coming up. J.J. We have a ton of news going on just today here in the office. Today's Thursday, December third, that we're recording this on. And uh, we just we have so much to talk to about. We just should dive right in. You can email us. We do have a podcast question that we'll take at podcast at baseballamerica dot com. Uh, obviously, you can follow us all during the winter meetings next week at Twitter, uh, twitter dot com backslash baseballamerica, or just uh, join uh, join the six thousand or so people already following Baseball America out on Twitter. And JJ, we'll have so much to discuss next week. I think there will be a lot going on with the Rule Five. Maybe I just should tweet the entire Rule Five draft. That uh, like would be fun, actually. Uh, we can talk Rule Five draft preview. We can talk National League West top ten prospects. In two weeks, the prospect handbook goes to press, so we're all busy <laughs> yeah, about yeah, the yeah, prospect yeah. handbook. Got a lot uh, of, I think you have now seventy. I have seventy. Seventy-two prospects left to write. I'm eight away from finishing the Phillies. I'm really late I, I, on the Phillies. I've got 30, 30 left to go. But I have done all my interviews, but one basically. You're I'll, be, I'll wrap up my interviews uh, during the winter meetings with just like, okay, so I slide this guy up or down. But I've done all my interviews except for one, as far as gathering the information for these organizations, talking to guys in and out of the organizations, the Yankees, Phillies, and Twins. I'm very fortunate to do three organizations that I've done before. I think people in those organizations have a level of trust with me, and they uh, and are fairly forthcoming. And also, I know pro scouts who do those organizations, so that's uh, been comfortable. And that's why I've got I've left a little bit of this at the last minute because I do feel comfortable. I can bring all that together. So that's that's fun to do. Uh, where should we start? The let's National go the, League let's West. Let's go to the 10? National League West. So we've yeah. got we've go got some of them up. We have you know I think the Padres going up basically went up a little bit before we recorded this. Right. Maddie's chatting Thursday afternoon. We still have the Dodgers and Diamondbacks, which are coming uh, next week, but we can talk about a little bit here. The question we've been asking for each of these podcasts when we talk about top ten, so which system is the best, which is the best top ten in the division, and who do you think is the number one prospect in the division? I think I like the uh, Giants farm system the best in this division, and I'm going off the board, well, not that far off the board, but I'm bucking our own top tens. My favorite prospect in this division is Madison Bumgarner, and obviously I'm more on the Bumgarner train than most people are. Uh, I don't think his diminished velocity this year is that big of an issue. I think the bigger issue is the secondary stuff, but uh, I've talked about it and talked about it, and if you command the fastball, you create angle on the fastball, and you pitch off the fastball, the secondary this stuff does not have to be that special. I believe in Madison Bumgarner. I believe in the makeup, the mound presence, the fastball, the athleticism. I take him over Buster Posey. I, I hear, uh, and I think I pass this on to Andy Baggerly, but it was after that, that horse had already left the barn. But I just talked to a scout the other day when and doing Rule 5 stuff and uh, cross-checking my three organizations. We just got on a Buster Posey tangent, and he was the second scout I've talked to this year who really gave, had significant questions about Buster Posey's receiving ability. And you better be a good receiver when your, pitch, when your pitchers are Matt Cain and Tim Lincecum and, and Jonathan Sanchez and Brian Wilson. He even throw some, a Merkin Valdez in there. Yeah, here. they have some serious stuff in San Diego, and, but obviously it starts with Lincecum. So if you can't handle Tim Lincecum, your position value at catcher is pretty nullified. He might be a worse receiver than Jorge Posada, and this scout gave Jorge Posada a 40 grade as a receiver, and it used to be a 30. And we've all seen Jorge Posada in the postseason just clank balls off his 
glove. And if you can't get borderline pitches for a guy like Jonathan Sanchez, who doesn't have good command and only has really average control, he needs your help. And if you can't help him as your Buster Posey, that's why you didn't play in September and they played Benji Molina. I have reservations about Buster Posey. I also have reservations on his ultimate uh, offensive ceiling. I'll go back to Matt Blood's scouting report in 2008 when Matt saw, uh, when he was working for us before he was scouting for the Cardinals, when he saw Gordon Beckham and Buster Posey on the same weekend. And this scout talked about Buster Posey in the same light they talked about with Dominic Brown. If you question Dominic Brown's power potential, it's because you question the explosion in his hands, his rings, wrists, and forearms. And he questions the strength and the explosion and just the quote-unquote lack of thunder in Buster Posey's hands. He's a more as a 10-14 to 14 home run guy, kind of like a Russell Martin without th- that level of defensive uh, value. So I, I like Buster Posey. I like Madison Bumgarner better. I'll agree with you. I think the Giants have the number one system in the division. I will say I think the Rockies is the Rockies are not that far behind, I agree. especially when you look at the amount of pitching that's in that organization. Absolutely agree. I mean that the pitching. You know, you've got Tyler Madsen, Christian Friedrich at the top. Those are two. Christian Friedrich. Christian Friedrich would be a solid number one. People forget we had him. I think in our top ten in the 2008 draft prospects. We thought he was going to go in that. 8-15 to 15 range in the draft. He wound up falling into Colorado's laps at 26, and I really don't know why. All he did was dominate wood-back competition for two years. Maybe the fact that he was at Eastern Kentucky scared some people off. Maybe the fact that he pitched more off the breaking balls in college. But who doesn't in college? So I, I'm a Friedrich fan. I still thought Matzik needed to be number one. Right. No, I think Matzik's number one. There's no doubt about that. But that system, the pitching in that system stood out. Like, Ethel Rogers, number nine. Yeah. Is, that, Esmil Rogers, there's a lot of organizations I can think of where Esmil Rogers would make, be making an argument to be number three, number four. I agree. I had a glowing scouting report out of him in the Texas League this year, and he was in the running when we did our midseason top 25. I don't remember if he was in the top 25 or if he was. He might have just been in the 26 to 50. But Julius Chassin still eligible, and they uh, they got Rex Brothers in this year's draft. We liked their draft in 2009, rated as the top ranked draft. I agree with you. They're not far behind the Giants. I still have my questions about the Giants. Developing position players. Like, Although you know, it has gotten better. It's gotten better. Th- Thomas Neal, here's a little tidbit. Thomas Neal was a draft and follow out of their 05 draft, JJ. The Giants spent less than $600,000 in the first 10 rounds of that draft. Didn't pick till the fourth round of the best draft of the decade because they of the free agents. They, they decided they did They not. punted on that draft. They, they still got three, first, uh, three big leaguers out of that draft. Alex Hinshaw has been in the big leagues. Sergio Romo has thrown 60 innings in the big leagues. I forget the th- – oh, Joe Martinez, who d- pitched for them in the big leagues this year, made six starts. And Thomas Neal's part of that draft. So they could get four big leaguers out of that draft, and I think they could get a regular in Thomas Neal and a regular reliever in Sergio Romo. So that, that's, that's pretty – that just tells you how good that draft was, that 2005 draft. And you clearly was the best draft of that class. And they all those are post-10th round guys. And I was gonna say, but that's not to. how good the draft was. Because when you get past the tenth round, what you're talking about—that's how good the scouting was. That's true too. That's true too. I there's no, there was more no depth draft. Of talent, there's right? depth of talent, right? But when you get past the tenth round, yeah, no draft is ten, you know, beyond ten rounds deep of, right. of talent. Right. Where you say, oh, in the twelfth round, you should be able to get a big leaguer. I think, that, I think that's right. They they got all those guys after the tenth round, and then since then, the reason the Giants have the best farm system in the division is first round 2006 Tim Lincecum, first round 2007 Madison Bumgarner, and later Tim Alderson, who they used in a trade this year. First round, 2008, Buster Posey. They've made good picks. And I also agree with Jim Callis. If you're the Rays and you drafted Buster Posey first overall in 2008 instead of Tim Beckham, 
uh, I think, well, first, I think they took the wrong Beckham. But second of all, if you take Buster Posey, you don't have to trade for Kelly Shop because they just did this week. He gives you other options. I, you know, he's a hometown guy. Maybe he would have. Maybe some Florida State fans would have come out. Maybe you get Jen Sturger to come to some of your games at uh, the Trop. Uh, that might increase attendance at least a little bit, just to get some Florida State cowgirls in there. Maybe Bobby Bowden drops by, forgets where he is. He's 80 years old. It, it could happen. Mickey Andrews is done. He's he's got plenty of time on his hands. I digress. Uh, it's the Baseball America podcast. He's JJ. I'm John. But uh, I like the Rocky system. Most of this decade, JJ the. Dodgers have been the top farm system in this uh, division. At least how we've ranked it, although when we look back in hindsight, we did say, if you look back in hindsight, yeah. that's probably, if you if we could re-rank it now, you probably don't say the Dodgers had the number one system of this decade. You probably say the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks, we, when we're doing those... probably go Diamondbacks, Rockies, Dodgers, actually. You know, because the Diamondbacks, the depth that they have, the amount of talent that they have produced is extremely impressive. It's pretty staggering. It was mostly in the earlier part of the decade, and uh, their last couple of drafts have been quite conservative, and I would say they have the worst present farm system in the division, and I say it's by a long shot. Six guys from this year's draft go straight into their top but ten. If you're, if, you're, if you're decoding at home, it doesn't matter how many picks you have. If you pick up a top ten, you're looking at the top ten, and that many guys from that year's draft are in the top ten, that's basically a little flashing light saying, you know, there's not a whole lot that appears to be in this system. That's correct. It's uh, it's surprising that they've – I like Tom Allison. I don't know him well, but I've, he's very polite to talk to. their scouting director who's in charge there. But since he took over, it really has been a very conservative, college-oriented approach. This year they took some high school guys. Uh, I think I'm highest on Chris Owings, personally, out of all the guys they drafted, even over Borchering. Chris Owings got some Gordon Beckham comps. And I think that's the reason. I think four years ago Chris Owings would not have been drafted nearly as high. But – People compare him to Gordon Beckham, and Gordon Beckham, uh, the way scouts in the Southeast think, he slipped through the cracks and wound up in college, and they didn't want the same thing to happen to Chris Owings, which was to the detriment of South Carolina, which thought they had a, you know, another guy to come into their tradition of shortstops there. But uh, the Diamondbacks, what they produced in the last decade, J.J., is kind of amazing. I mean, we left out, and, and I, I would be curious to get feedback at podcast at baseballamerica.com you get the print edition of the magazine. And also, get, going, up, going, going up tomorrow. Okay. We're going to put up the entire NL tomorrow. Fever charts of how each team's organization has ranked, and a top ten prospect of the decade for each organization. You had to have appeared in a top ten, not a top 30, but a top ten in the magazine to uh, be considered for this top ten of the decade. And the Diamondbacks had like 20 significant guys to consider, really. I mean, Where are those other teams in the NL that when we were doing it's like you get down to number four and you're going, okay. Uh. Yeah, the, well, the Giants are one of them. Uh, I mean, Pedro Feliz, I think, is number four. and He's had a solid big league career, but he's really never sniffed being an all-star. He's a, you know, basically, I mean, his defense makes him a first division regular, but generally he's been a second division regular. From a, he's a first division regular because the rest of the Phillies team is so ridiculous. That they oh, can by the way, I love that 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 term still thrown around, which is a term that has not been really true. There's now been like three generations of scouts who have scouted and, yeah. then, and then basically passed on. Yeah, you're right. Since there was really a divi- the difference between the first division and the second yeah, division right. of the National there League. Were 16, there were eight teams <laughs> in the National League the last in 1961. Right. Uh, I mean, it's, it is kind of a, that's an old that's a, uh, that is an anachronistic term if there yeah. ever was one. There's you a, know, oh, uh, you know, I think that the Browns this year uh, <laughs> are going to be a second division club. That's right. That's back when that's back when the Kansas City A's were a team. So um, the only organization that we really haven't touched on is the one that's going up today, JJ San Diego, 
and news involving San Diego today, two pieces of news. First, they hired Jason McLeod, the Red Sox scouting director, as their assistant, scout, assistant general manager. Makes all kinds of sense. McLeod no. worked for the he worked for the Padres. Uh, he actually, as an area scout, signed uh, as an area scout signed Paul McAnulty, who went up in their big leagues, uh, which is kind of funny. Uh, then he, he worked for with Theo there. Came with Theo to Boston. He's a San Diegan, San Diegoan, San Diegon, however you want to call it. Um, and so he's kind of going into a uh, he's getting a promotion, which is, you know, makes sense. And now he'll probably have a hand in hiring a scouting director, which they still haven't done there in San Diego. And then Donovan Tate, their number one prospect, their first-round draft pick this year, third overall, uh, gets hurt in an ATV crash and has a broken jaw, according to the San Diego Union-Tribune. Uh, that's just, uh, that's a whole lot of air going on with the Potters. They had, they had a really fascinating year, I think, on the minor leagues. Uh, they had a fascinating side. year everywhere. Yeah, I mean, like, right. I, I, you know, we were writing, you know, writing up the lead for the web today, and it's, you're looking at this team. There are very few besides you know at the big league level i mean they're i mean this has just been a complete turnover yeah. year for the padres i mean yeah, no doubt. they're they're they have a different owner right they have an entirely different almost an entirely different front office it will be yeah definitely you know we're, by the time we're done and and really even at the big league level they've got they've made they still have the same cornerstone you know adrian right. gonzalez right. is for now for now at least the franchise but you know jake Peavy was the you know, he was the franchise. He's the number one prospect of the decade for the Padres. You know, easily. And then you look at even at the at the minor league level, this top ten, a lot of dra- you know, there's a couple of draftees in it, but there's also guys that they acquired during the season. I mean, right. it's, it's there's a lot of turnover in San Diego. And we really like their their draft this year as well. And I think last year's draft was a good draft for San Diego. Really, this draft is basically 08 and 09 drafts and trades, and that's it. There's there's no holdovers from the previously. And, there is no team that drafted worse in the in the 2000s than the Padres. I just don't think it's any is anywhere close. No team that whiffed as often on first round picks. Um, I mean, one of their best first round picks of the decade is Tim Stauffer, who, who I love. Tim Stauffer, who has, has to be considered a draft bust. He has to be considered a draft bust, and he had two, he's had two years where he's been in the big leagues as an up and down kind of guy. He did pitch better in 2009. Mad props to Tim Stauffer for kind of pricking himself off the off the scrap heap, but. I mean, from Jake Gotro to Matt Bush to Cesar Carrillo and all the other injured guys in between, it's just been a, one disaster after another. And uh, you know, the fact the Padres, I mean, you, you'll see it on the fever chart. There's a pretty deep trough of how low the Padres' farm system is ranked for years, and this will be the first year in a while there's going to be an upward trend in their farm system uh, talent this year because I think that the, a lot of their college guys, they drafted in 08, did perform, and uh, we like their draft again in 2009. It's the Baseball America podcast. He's JJ. I'm John. We're talking we have letters. About, we were talking a little bit about scouting right there, JJ. And Michael Kilborn out of Seattle. I wonder if he's in relation to Craig. Uh, he emails, I was wondering, how do scouts hold themselves accountable? Scouting seems more like an art than like a science, but it stands to reason that there are good scouts as well as bad ones. I would be curious as to your responses regards Michael in Seattle. The, the 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 thing that jumps out to me is is that when you say how the scouts hold them, you know, they don't really hold themselves accountable because if you're a scout, unless you're the most uh, honest person in the world, you know, whether you've been scouting well or scouting poorly, you're going to sell yourself, you right. know, to try to keep your job. But I, there uh, there's not been a whole lot. I mean, it's it's always been a complaint that there isn't as much evaluation of scouting as there maybe should be. At least but the, publicly. At least. But that being said. You can tell that teams have guys that they believe in maybe more than others. I mean, that's that's true. 
there are different, you know, and a lot of times because they've earned that right. You know, like you could look at these top tens. You'll see a lot of times the same names popping up over and over. Maybe that's because it just happened that they, you know, went back, you know, to that area where they had been scouting right. from before. But a lot of times that also comes down to, especially when you see, if you see a top ten guy in there and it's like 15th round pick and you read the background and it says right. signed for $10,000, that's that's a scout who did his good good job, and you'll often notice that guy gets more guys like that because once a guy's proven that he can find hidden gems, then you you kind of go back to him and let him. That's you, it. you earn the right to to get some more chances. You keep going back to that well. There's no doubt. You know we're talking about the National League West, and uh, I'll see if I can find it quickly. I doubt that I will. But there's a you know, one of the guys who always has jumped out to me in this regard was a guy, the Giants. And if you go through the history of Lewis Clark State, the NAIA power that's won, what, 13 NAIA championships, in their history uh, they have, I think, seven big leaguers, eight big leaguers, and almost all of them are Giants, were with the Giants or were originally signed by the Giants. And it was the same scout, and I'm trying to find his name right now, He's no longer their scout uh, because he's uh, become ill. Uh, he had diabetes and he uh, lost a foot, I believe. He can no longer physically scout. Uh, I can't get his name. Uh, oh, it's John Schaefer. That's who it was. It's John Schaefer. And, and they just like they he developed a trust that you knew yeah. that John Schaefer. Yeah. You know, could I mean Marvin Bernard, uh, Steve Decker, who's now there, he's still managing their farm system. Keith Folk, Steve Reed. This is a scout who made an impact on an organization. So there are some ways, there's some tangible ways you can tell. Tom Karanik is another guy, I believe, scouts the Texas area for the Giants. But what, what some clubs do, JJ, that I've started to find out is some clubs, you can see how much they trust the scout. <clears throat> but another organization, excuse me, will come after that scout and try to hire him as a cross-checker. Sometimes you'll see teams that basically have area guys who basically function as their own cross-checker, who they don't cro- – you don't have to cross-check that guy's area to draft that guy in the first five rounds. And you'll see organiz- – I'm not going to name names. Right. But th- I've come across that in doing draft coverage where I'll ask an area guy, do you know if, who, if this guy's getting cross-checked? And he'll say, well, there's these clubs that are really on him, even they aren't cross-checking him, because I can tell you this guy doesn't need to be cross-checked. And that's, that's come up uh, – and, and you'll see sometimes guys who have large regions – uh, on their own, sometimes those guys are basically glorified cross-checkers. They're area scouts in title, but they're basically their own cross-checkers. Right, they've so earned that. There's some of those scouts around, and then there's other yeah, – I think you have to say the Twins trust Howard Norsetter because they've signed 20-some guys from Australia and Europe where another organizations really do that. Right, and, I mean, and you know also with that, with the international guys like that, yeah. Not we're not talking well, international. I'm talking Australia, Japan, things yeah, like not that. Not Latin America. Not Latin America. Latin America, you have multiple guys get good right. looks at a guy. Right. If you're signing a guy out of Australia, a lot of times the international scout is right. he's the guy who saw. That's him. right. And they, and obviously, I think the Twins trust him. They, they gave Max Kepler seven seventy five or eight hundred thousand dollars, an unprecedented sum for a European position player. Obviously, the Mariners. Rightfully, have a lot of trust in Bob Engel and Ted Hyde. Bob Engel's their international scouting director. Ted Hyde's their Pacific Rim guy. Who's more active in the Pacific Rim than the Mariners? Nobody. So I mean, like, uh, the example I, mean, like, I can Shin think Shin of Chu's a great example of a Korean guy. I mean, he's the only Korean position player in the big leagues, and other teams have whiffed on guys like whether it's Hesop Choi, who had a decent career but was never, never as much as what he was supposed to be, or Sunyap Lee, who was the best player in Korea and has never. Really, even made it really big in Japan, not to mention coming to the United States. But Shinshu Chu was their top amateur, 
pitcher and hitter, and now that guy's a big time major league player. So it's uh, great scouting internationally by the by the by the Mariners. Uh, another example that I just think of, uh, uh, you know, with the Reds and our, um, is uh, Jeff Brookins. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, he he drafted Chris Heisey in the 17th right. round. You see, I noticed that you know year year after year, you'll see a guy 10th round and on. You know that he always gets a guy. That's right. And it's like, well, you know, he's shown that you know he can he can find gems out oh, there. Oh, the, uh, the the Rays every year take a guy in the fourth, fifth, sixth round out of Pacific Northwest. I'm blanking on the scout's name right now. Paul Kirsch. I'm pretty sure it's Paul Kirsch. They clearly like Paul Kirsch. You know, they I'm sure they cross check him, but every year it's been guys like Ryan Royster, Tyler Morrison is in their farm system right now. It's been some guys who've made some impact on their career. You know, on their farm system, Royster had that year we had 30 home runs in the Saturday week. So, uh, they, but, but taken so, some guys out but there. But basically, that explains part of it, which is that there are scouts who teams know, okay, hey, this guy's had a lot of success. At the same time, I think it's fair to say that in scouting, it's as much who you know. Like, because yeah. scouting is something. There are very few. You've run into very few scouts who say, yeah, I've been scouting for this team for 25 years. That's right. I mean, scouting is a nomadic profession, both, you know, both in the fact that literally, you know, that you actually just travel all the time, but also from the standpoint that you, you usually, you know, you're with the club and then there's, you know, their scouting director is, you know, moves on or gets fired or whatever. There's a guy around here I know since being here 13 years, one of the first area scouts I got to meet around here. He's been with five organizations in my 13 years here. I mean, every time I see him, I feel like I see him sporting someone else's gear. It's pretty funny, actually. And it's unexpected. All the changes are usually unexpected. So, And that's one of the things that the Blue Jays have actually addressed, J.J., they're trying to address with this. And this is, should be a column for, of mine coming out of uh, Indianapolis, I hope. Uh, the Blue Jays are doubling. Maybe some people have read about it, They're basically doubling their scouting department. And they're, they're giving them smaller areas. They're giving their guys more time off. And they basically want to make it a better experience to scout for the for the Blue Jays, and they're hoping that's an edge they can gain. That would be an edge because it is a, you know, it, it's a brutal life. There's I mean, no doubt, and that's one of the things that uh, they said. <laughs> that's one of the things that the Blue Jays say is they want it to be better to scout for Toronto than to scout for other clubs. And I've always thought it just makes sense to have more scouts than other teams if you can, and to have more minor league instruction. And I really praise. Toronto for that, and Tampa, which is going to two field coordinators, two roving hitting guys, wow. two pitching coordinators. It just That's makes a, it sense. Just, it's, and the thing about it is, is the amount of money that we're talking about is the amount of money that you, I mean, I'm joking a little bit, but that you blow on, you know, adding, you know, shrimp to the uh, postgame right. spread at the big league level. Right. I mean, it's, you know, it's what we're talking about, uh, adding a second rover, at the minor league level, even when you throw in the travel, yeah. if you could produce one more big leaguer because of that, you've, you've more than for, paid for. It's paid, it's paid for for the next ten years. Right. Basically, I mean, it's, right it's because that first that first three four years of that big leaguer, if you managed to fix somebody who had talent but you know was not headed in the right direction, yeah. that four years you're going to save. Yeah, you're going to save well more than that salary. No doubt. It's a Baseball America podcast. He's JJ. I'm John. I'm going back to an earlier point where we were talking about the Padres, J.J. I wanted to segue a little bit into the winter meetings, what can be expected besides uh, you know, the Rule 5 draft. Our Rule 5 draft early preview is up. We'll have another one from Indy next week. Um, but going to back to the Padres, Adrian Gonzalez is probably the biggest name out there, along with Roy Halladay. That's a potential trade to happen. Do you see either of those guys getting traded in the winter meetings? Uh, do you think that's going to happen? I think Halladay has done a good job of kind of forcing the Blue Jays' hand in that when you – 
and he has the right to. I mean, this is why players have, you know, clauses in their contracts and all. Right. But if when he says, hey, you either trade me by the start of spring training or I'm here until the end. I went through this mess last year. I'm not going through that again. Right. If that's the case, well, then if you're the Blue Jays, you – pretty much need to trade them. Yeah, You're not looking like, you know, you can't say, hey, that Toronto team right now looks like this is, you know, they're definitely going to challenge for, a, a, you know, they're going to challenge the Yankees and the Red Sox and the right. Orioles and the Rays. Right. And both improving franchises. Right. I, I would love, I, I don't know how realistic this is, I would love to see Roy Halladay go to Colorado. I just think it would be awesome for, for him to be traded. The Rockies have the farm system to make the trade. They have quantity. They have pitching talent. Uh, I think, that, you know, I think they have some athletes, although that's really, if I'm Toronto, what I'm looking for. Toronto's a bottom five farm system, J.J. I don't think there's a question that no, when don't you don't any. know who your number one is, that's a sign that you, and it's because you don't have a real number one prospect as opposed to you have three. Right, not knowing who your number one is is because, you know, it's like, well, you could take this number, you know, this this number one, or you could take this guy number one, and they both feel like it. That's right. one thing. Not having a number one is like, well, that guy's really a number four. They've actually done better at developing talent than I think we've given them credit for in some ways. And at the same time, they still haven't ever really come close, in my mind, to putting things together under J.P. Ricciardi. And uh, and so I, I'm fascinated. I think they should trade Halliday this offseason. I don't see why you'd hold on to him. They should have traded him last summer you know, if, if you're trying to maximize his value. But I think you have to avoid getting a Cliff Lee deal where I think Cleveland did not get as much as they should have gotten. And you've got to avoid – I mean, Cliff Lee's one, and you throw you got to throw Johan Santana. Right. Because – the, to me, the the parallels are, are pretty are pretty Basically, striking. Johan Santana for uh, for JJ Hardy at this point. You know, and and Johan Santana forced the hand. You know, I mean, the, yeah. yeah, everyone knew they had to trade him, and so they sat there. The the other thing I'll say with that though is is that I do think for baseball, I kind of hope that he doesn't end up a Red Sox or a Yankee, just yeah, because no I think that'll add to the perception that oh, you know, they just get whoever right, they just get whoever they want. Absolutely. Adrian Gonzalez, I think, is, I mean, it seems like there's so much change already in San Diego that maybe you'd want to not do that. But at the same time, they do have Kyle Blanks. They have Kyle Blanks, who is a first baseman. He's, he's not, a first baseman on the left fielder, and he's pretty good. I mean, he hit And last you would year. think that Adrian Gonzalez, even though you don't get as much value for first baseman, but Adrian Gonzalez is good enough. He's a special first baseman. Right. He's not just a good one. He's a, you know, he's a great one. Yeah, he's he's a he's a guy who you hit in the three four spot in a playoff lineup, but, and you have to pitch to. He makes way too much sense for Boston because you can slide Euclid at third base, and that's the thing that Boston clearly missed from the Ortiz Manny years. They did not have the guy in the middle of the lineup that you really feared. They had guys you could be pitched to. Nothing against Jason Bay, but he's not Manny Ramirez. Nothing against Euclid, he's not Big Poppy, circa 2007. Nothing against Big Poppy. But his time has passed. So I mean, it's he, he had a nice second half. He's still not the guy who you can't pitch. To, you know, he couldn't be pitched to and could who hit quality pitching. Boston clearly lacked that in 2009. I, I do think well, if you're the, the pa- if you're the Padres, you're in a much better situation than what we talked about Paladay. In that, what you do is is you go into the winter meetings and if someone wows you, right? You you really you just ask the question: Does this make our team better long term? Adrian Gonzalez is so good. Okay, can we? But does this trade make us better? If it does, then you do it. To me, you can't make that trade unless you get premium up the middle pieces in, in exchange. I mean, this is a team that had a 
guy go from low class A to being their everyday shortstop and being their best option in the middle of the diamond in Everett Cabrera. That's good for Everett Cabrera, great pro scouting by the Padres, and an indictment of their inability under the Grady Fuson and uh, Chief Gaten regimes of scouting and player development to bring in middle of the diamond talents. So you need athletes in the middle of the diamond. You probably need some catching. You probably need a center fielder. You need impact, and you have to have impact in the middle of the diamond. They, they were pretty good at drafting thumbing lefties and corner bats, you know, but that's what's easy to scout with numbers and with the same old approaches. They need athletes, and they haven't shown an ability to do that, and it was shocking that they did that in 2009. And I'm going to segue now. You mentioned Cabrera. Cabrera was the best guy out of last year's this you know Rule Five draft. I mean, yeah. There's there's no real doubt about that. Yep. Him and Donald Veal were the, actually the only really the only two guys that you could say Who you know stuck with their clubs. Darren O'Day had the second right. best season, but he didn't stick with the Mets. Right. But the two it's guys. The Mets' fault. Which, and and the point could always be made. You know, the Rule Five draft is always something that is. There's more more to it. Cattle. Yeah. I mean, there's you know, more to it on that day than there is long term. That being said. There are, you know, there are that, you know, Cabrera, obviously Josh Hamilton, yeah. Johan Santana. You can always throw out guys, hey, this guy was, you know. I mean, Johan Santana by himself. Right. It's like you have to pay attention to it. Absolutely. Uh, there's a lot, oh, Joachim Soria. I mean, uh, that's you know. a pretty good one right there. Uh, this this year's Rule 5 class, obviously the Rule 5 the last couple of years is not as exciting. They really deepened the pool of players. Right. They, 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 made, they made a much shallower pool of players. Because they what they did the is they, they added a year. Right. Before players become eligible, well, your you had the 2006 draft would have been in play under the old rules for college guys. So I assume the Pirates would have drafted, would have selected, uh, protected Brad Lincoln. They probably would have, but they would have had to make that choice. Or uh, who were some other 06 draftees? There was somebody else that I was looking at the other day, Brett Singfield for the Marlins, who's kind of been a disappointment. They would have had to make that decision. Right. The decisions become a lot easier when you add one more year before you make those decisions. Right. So now the deci- so now it's 2000. Four, 2005 uh, college guys, right? I'm, I'm confusing myself in my head. Bottom line is we have the we have the eligibility list. We have the official list. Can't say where, but we have the official list of eligibles. We went through the whole thing, talked to some scouts about it, ran through our own scouting reports, put up ten numbers. I, the, the, I'm skeptical of even some of the guys I even listed. Oh, right, the thing about this is that uh, the, the point I want to make with the Rule Five is we got you know, we got 20 names up there. Yeah. We'll probably have another 10 to 15. Yeah. You know, by the time we get done talking to people at the rule, you know, at at the winter meetings and all. That being said, I'll make the prediction right now. It's a 50-50 shot whether the best guy who comes out of the Rule 5 draft this year is even on that list. And the reason I say right. that is because the guys who people talk about are the ones who are the obvious ones. Yep. Yeah, right. Donald Veal was an obvious guy last the year. The guy who should have been popped was the guy that I was all over last year, Pedro Figueroa. I'm sorry, right. but I was right about that. The guy had but, a great year this year. Right. Very excited but, about that. But Everest Cabrera was not a guy who was getting buzz, you know, really that much. because I don't even remember. Right. I mean, but he was because, you know, a lot of times these guys are, you know. Terrell Young had all the buzz last year. Terrell Young, you know, which, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, you can say at the time, I was like, yeah, no, that guy's not going to stick, you know. But, but you know, like if you said who's the guy to me of this group, you know, we did our, you know, initial, you yeah, know, early our early preview. If you say who's the guy who jumps out just from the standpoint of having talent, now that doesn't mean he's going to be able to stick. But if you said, hey, 
the talent, I think it's Archimedes Caminero. I agree with you. I think Archimedes Caminero is the most interesting guy, and I, I drew the parallel to Jorge Sosa, who was a guy who jumped from short season ball to the big leagues and stuck and had a career of some note, although really he had the but, one great year with the Braves. But he had a great year. He had a great year. He won 13 games. Uh, it's, yeah, I think he, ha- he, he was a little. I think he was a little lucky. He walked a lot of guys. But the bottom line is, he was an arm strength guy with limited experience, and that's Archimedes Caminero. Archimedes Caminero also has more, much more pitching experience than Sosa, who was a conversion guy. Um, and he's 22 years old and hasn't been above short season ball for, uh, except for like what 10 appearances. Right so. now, and that's the thing. I ran. I ran his name by a scout who told me he said the problem you have with a guy like that is if he was a lefty, he's a slam dunk. Yeah. And the reason being that you can like carry you can carry yeah. a rule five lefty in the pen so much easier than you can a righty because as a lefty, especially if he throws hard, you just say, Okay, well we're gonna put you out there occasionally right. as our number two or number three lefty to get a guy out. I know he's not a, I know he's not a, I know the, the the comparison doesn't hold a lot of water because of the physical part, but you know who Camonero actually reminds me of as a rule five guy is Derek Turnbow. Derek Turnbow was in low A. He was in our top ten for the Phillies, actually, the year he was in low A. He got rule five because he was so far away. But he was an arm strength guy with a power breaking ball, and he stuck because you could, I think, in the right situation, you bring that guy, a guy like Kamenaris in. He's your long guy. He's your 11th or 12th guy. He just eats up some innings. There's going to be games where he's going to get lit up, and you just got to, to wear it. And I don't think a contending team can do it. No, no. But I, had, think, I think he's worth the risk. <laughs> there are, hey, there are <laughs> ten teams right now who yeah. know that they will not be contending. And Turbo proved that to be worth the risk. I believe he had an all-star season as a closer. I mean, it's, it's a little fluky. But um, I also I like both the Garcias from the Phillies. I, I do the Phillies organization reports. I mean, not organization, the top 30. Uh, I, I've gotten a lot of positive reports on Henry Garcia. Uh, the first time I did my ranking – I still haven't written up Henry Garcia, but he was going to be in the back of the 30. I might drop him out of the 30 now. I'm going to go ahead and write him up, but uh, for whatever organization, Rule 5 is in. But I, I think he will get Rule 5. He is a lot like Everett Cabrera from last year's draft. He does not have the ability to play shortstop like Everett Cabrera because he doesn't have the arm strength. He does have the range to play short. I think his arm is probably like a 50 arm, which is really below average for shortstop. He could, Everyone he could, always throw up, eh, yeah. you know, David Eckstein can do it. Right. Uh, I don't think he can do it. I do think he could be a super utility guy. I think he's a lesser Sean Figgins, to be honest with you. I don't think he gives you the – he doesn't have Figgins' arm strength. But I think he could be a second baseman. He's an energy guy. He runs, and he does have some, enough strength that he's not a Judy. He's not going to hit for power. But I don't think he's going to get overpowered. And he, he's, he's older. He's 23 years old. Uh, the other guys I kind of like in here are some of the left-handers. I don't think – yeah. okay, yeah, Edgar Osuna and Ben Jukic. I'm a Ben Jukic fan. He's older. His fastball has not come along, but he does spin a breaking ball, and he's got size. If he can create angle on the fastball, I do think he's a guy who, in shorter stints, could be a useful lefty out of a bullpen. Uh, yeah, I, I do think he's had some success in winter ball as well. Right. I I, I don't think I, I think that I, I do the Reds list. I, I don't think that he's someone who I, I guess my philosophy for Rule Five or why guys get picked is is that you look at long term him having. Right. You know, there's two ways you take a guy. One, you take a guy. I mean, the, the Yankees a couple of years ago. Um, I'm just blanking on the first baseman, uh, Josh Phelps. Oh yeah. When they take Josh Phelps, and it's like, hey, we can get this guy cheap this yeah. way, and he might play in the big. You know, he, he might be our backup first baseman. Right. Well, there's that approach, and then there's the this guy's potential is so good 
that it's worth us carrying him on the roster. I agree. It's not I don't know if you, a I don't, guy. I don't know if – I don't think Jukic fits either of those. I don't think you say, well, clearly he can help our team right now to right. a point where it's worth it, and I don't I think, think he has enough upside to – Yeah, I think that he can if you believe in the breaking ball. And I've had reports of the breaking ball being plus at times. Uh, so that's that's why – that to me is the issue, is that he is a lefty who spins a breaking ball. And I think because of the size, he might have enough angle – where the fastball might play up, even though it's fringy. But that's like I said, that's what teams are looking for. Right, they're looking. That's one of the profiles they look for is the situational lefty. And Wesley Wright is a guy who fit that for the Astros, made it a couple years ago. Now it's being converted into a possible starting option in winter ball. So that's the future future upside for Ben Jukic. At best, he's a John Holama type. His right has a little more velo to it. Right, but his breaking ball might give Jukic a chance to help you now. But the interesting thing is that Jukic, in a, at least in the minors, has always been better. At, you know, He's never, as right. a reliever, been as seems like he's never been as comfortable relieving as he has starting. That is, that, that, I saw that in his numbers the other day when I, after I, when I put him up here. and That's why Edgar Osuda might be that same kind of guy, a below-average fastball. Uh, so I... It's, it's it's interesting. The Braves, I think, don't have a great farm system right now. It's very top-heavy, not a lot of depth. And I, I, they, I, they might get hit hard. I think the Phillies might get hit a little bit. The Yankees might take a little depth issue because they do have some hey, they had The Yankees had a ton of guys taken last year. Not they even did. stuck. But right. They, they did. Ivan Nova, they're very lucky, didn't stick. Ivan Nova came back and had a nice year. will be in their top 30. So uh, that's one of the more interesting things about the Rule 5 is seeing which organizations get hit the hardest. Um, but we'll see. Uh, I wouldn't say the Rule 5 is much ado about nothing, but it's much ado about not much. Right. It, it's something it, – it's a fascinating day. In the, you know, it's a fascinating day in December for baseball. I mean, I, I, you know, true. we get to talk about prospects in December. That's the best part about it. You're not talking about arbitration. You're not talking about a salary dump. You're not talking about non-tender. Because, look, the, other, to do with money. the other stories that we'll see out of the winter meetings are going to be not nearly as fun. Not, not mostly. I mean, there may be a trade or two, which will be fun, but right. we're going to be talking about – you know, the upcoming CBA, we're going to be talking about revenue sharing and how much Scott from the central Boris. fund is, you know, going to different teams. We'll and talk about Scott Boris holding court. I look forward to talking to Scott in Indianapolis about his, his uh, one of his clients that he advises, James Paxton, a left-hander at Kentucky, who is suing the University of Kentucky in a really disgusting display of NCAA rules in a college, I think, uh, trying to CYA, uh, well, CIA, cover its uh, rear uh, by uh, coming down on a kid. And any time that you have someone, if you're a parent, any time you, you come across a situation where the school or some other institution says, hey, do this and don't tell your parents, they don't have your best interests at heart. No. And that's what the University of Kentucky did. They told James Paxton, take this, invest t take this survey, submit to this NCAA survey and investigation, and don't tell your parents and don't tell your lawyer they must not have known that his lawyer was Scott Boris. <laughs> that is the wrong, uh, as, as Ice Cube said, that's the wrong one to, to mess with. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm editing that for content, but uh, you don't mess with uh, you don't mess with the Zohan. In this case, the Zohan is Scott Boris. Uh, wow, I, that I was like four different analogies. Bad, bad cultural references yeah. all in a row. I don't I don't like the NCAA or Kentucky's chances in that one, JJ. Do you? He's also hired the same uh, attorney who represented Andy Oliver. Well, I, I just you know. Uh, to me, the big thing is this: the NCAA keeps fighting this battle, and this just seems like a battle that's des that's not only designed for them to lose, but meant for them to lose. Because yeah. really, what it comes down to is is you're trying to figure out a way to take away rights that that's it would right. seem like that everyone, you know, you know, and you can say, hey, we're a, you know, you don't know, you don't have to play college, but and it's true, you don't have to play college right. sports, 
But I just don't see what the upside is, is that when you talk about, well, no, you can have an agent for this sport, but you're not playing. You know, yeah. if you're a, if you play pro football, I mean, you know, pro baseball, but you're still a college football player, you can have an agent for baseball then, but that's okay. So but backwards. having an agent for the sport that you're playing, which you need to make decisions that involve hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, is wrong. And you can have an advisor, though, when they can't negotiate for you, but they can put the words in your mouth. It just all – it's one of those things where you look at it, and it's like it, all it is is it's the attempt to make an appearance of something, not – make any substantial change. Talk about anachronistic. It's just like, it's Avery Brundage. It's, it's, it's like NCAA has this bastion of amateurism. And I think, especially at the University of Kentucky, <laughs> we know it's not. See Chris Mills and, uh, what was it? What was the guy? Eric Manuel. Eric Manuel, that's right. From uh, Macon, Georgia. Those guys, I, I, I know that story well. I think anybody who thinks that Kentucky's basketball program is amateur, uh, I'd like them to talk to the guys at UMass and Memphis about John Calipari's past. It is ironic, to say the least, that it's Kentucky that's saying we've got to have this squeaky clean baseball program. So I could go on. I will not. We will see you from Indianapolis. We probably will pop a podcast from there next week. I will force our two quietest uh, staff members, not named Jim Schoenard, Matt Eddy and Josh Leventhal, to podcast with me. Or you might just get me and Jim Callis as Jim edits the handbook from his hotel room in Indianapolis. So for J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. Send those questions into us at podcast at baseballamerica.com, and we'll see you next time. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.